The lights are beautiful. Why do we put those lights up? Why, why the lights at Christmas time? Does it mean something? Does it, does it stand for anything? It, it probably does, right? It probably means something. I think as believers, we, we, we should probably be thinking about the light of the world. Right? The light of the world. That the Messiah has come. And He has shown His light in our lives, in our hearts. And in the world, in the darkness. And uh, so the, the lights on the Christmas tree, the lights on our houses or the decorations, um, they should remind us of that. But every, every time of, of the year, there are lights. You know, it gets dark and the street lights come on. Um, we wake up in the morning and the sun comes up. And we see the sun rising. And every time we see that light, it should remind us of the light of the world. But we have a unique opportunity, I think, during Christmas to think about light and to think about what it means. And that wasn't, that's not a, a new, that wasn't a totally new thing um, in the New Testament. It, it wasn't just a, a Messiah thing. Light, in fact, has been part of the story of God's work and His redemption from the very beginning. You remember way, way back in the very beginning? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? And then verse 2 and the earth was formless and void, and the Spirit of God hovered over the, the face of the water. And verse 3, and, and, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And He created the light. From the very beginning, light was a part of God's creation, a part of God's plan. Look with me at a passage in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 60. We're going to talk about light. We're going to talk about the significance of the light for us and for us at Christmas. And we're, we're looking, um, as we began last week, we're looking at Christmas through the eyes of Isaiah. We're, we're focusing on um, what Christmas is really all about as we prepare for the coming of the Messiah at Christmas. We're looking at what Isaiah said about the Messiah, how he, how he encouraged the people to prepare themselves for his coming. So we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 60. We're just going to look at the first three verses of this really amazing chapter in Isaiah. But I want to ask you to follow along with me as I read it aloud. Beginning at verse 1, chapter 60 in Isaiah. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and His glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Let's pray together. Father, I do pray that your Spirit will... Um, awaken our hearts and our minds and our, our souls to what you are um, speaking to us through this word. Lord, I do ask that you will give us understanding. I, will, I ask that you will help us to have the power, the, the strength, ability to be obedient uh, to what you teach us today, to arise and shine as your word commands, as your word commands us to do, Lord God. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. 
Um, the uh, as I was reading this passage and studying it this week and reflecting on it, um, I found it very very challenging. Have you ever um, have you ever uh, read certain parts of the Bible and they seemed pretty straightforward and you're like, okay, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I like that. Yeah, I can do that. I understand that. And then you get to these other passages where you think you know what it's all about. You think you know what you might be getting, but you read it and you go, gosh, I'm scratching my head here. This is one of those passages for me. Um, it's a passage that I've heard. In fact, I've, a passage I've even sung before. Any of you had the op- have ever had the opportunity to, opportunity to sing uh, Handel's Messiah, you, you had the opportunity to sing these very words. And, and they, in, in many ways, they're familiar to us. But as we get into it and we start to think about, well, what, what does this actually mean? What does it actually mean to me? What does it actually mean to, to us, to our lives? Um, it's pretty challenging, I think, um, to, to, to come up with why, uh, we're due, why, why this is here. And so maybe, um, <clears throat> I'm not going to probably speak as long as I normally do today because I don't think my voice can handle it, but maybe as we look at some of these verses, some of these, um, some illustrations and some examples might, might help us understand um, what's going on here. A little bit of background though for Isaiah. Um, Isaiah is prophesying and writing these things at a time when, when Israel was, was in trouble. Israel had had a long history. They had, they had been in the land of Palestine, what we know as Palestine or modern-day Israel. They'd been in that land for quite some time. They had many kings. They had good kings and bad kings. And during those kings' reigns, the people were sometimes obedient to God and sometimes not. Um, what we see is really a kind of a spiral of, uh, kind of a cycle of, of obedience followed by turning away from God and doing their own thing, followed by uh, punishment, followed by enemies attacking them. And then they would, they, would, they would come back around and they'd start to repent again and say, oh, we need to get our act together because things are really bad for us. And they'd repent and God would restore them again. But ultimately, they spiraled and spiraled and spiraled and they got to a point where God said, enough is enough. You're going to go into exile. You're going to be punished. You're going to be removed from the land. And so Isaiah, from Isaiah chapter 40 on, Isaiah is speaking to the people about that time when they're going to come back into the land. That time when they're going to be restored again. That time that they're going to be forgiven. And we saw that in Isaiah chapter 40 last week when we saw how how God was going to redeem His people by offering forgiveness of their sins, by pardoning their iniquity, by, by coming to them, revealing His glory to them. And that theme is continuing on. And now we're here in Isaiah chapter 60, and uh, the words are to the people, Arise! <clears throat> I don't know if you... I don't know if you... Um, Ever, have ever told um, your children to arise? Maybe, um, maybe when they are sleeping in bed and they should be getting up and you say, Arise! Shine! Uh, well, you might not say that to them. But the kind of command Isaiah is making to, to, to the people through the Lord, 
um, through the inspiration of the Spirit, he's telling them to get up from where they are. They're lying down. They're, maybe, they're, maybe they're sleeping. Or, or maybe they're depressed and discouraged. Because remember, this is a time in which the people were kind of beat down. And they were looking for good news. Is there some good news for us? And so I thought about this, and I thought about the times when my children, when, especially when they were younger and less defiant. Well, actually, some of them were very defiant when they were younger too. But when they would recognize that they were wrong. doesn't happen very often. But when children recognize that they're wrong and they feel bad for what they've done, what do they often do? They will hide their faces. They will, they will, they will find a place in the closet. Um, they will run uh, under, uh, and hide under the covers or, or behind a, a couch or something like that. They'll, they'll try to hide themselves. Um, and a, another example of this, and maybe this will hit m- home to more of you, is when you're disciplining your dog, and and he cowers before you, right? You, he knows he's done wrong, and so he he puts his head down, and his tail between his legs, and and he just and he lays on the ground, and right, and and you know he tries to. I don't know, maybe he's, uh, maybe he's trying to get some sympathy. But what I want to say is, after he's had his punishment, I want to say, arise. Get up from your despair. Get up from your discouragement. Get up from your punishment. You have a place in my family. You, you, I want to restore you. And I think that's what the message here is to the people. When, he, when Isaiah says, arise, he's telling them to get up from their affliction. They've been beat down. They've been discouraged. But God is saying, I love you. Get up and be my people. I have a purpose for you. Something for you to be fulfilled in. I have something for you to do. I don't know if there are people around you who you've detected need to have this command, need to, need to receive this word, arise. Get up. Get out of where you're at. I mean, I've talked to people every day. And I was talking with, with somebody a couple days ago who was wrestling with, what does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to know Jesus? And, 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 and here I am explaining what the gospel is all about. And yet, the person I'm talking to is going, oh, yeah, but... Um, I don't know if I'm good enough or I don't know if I've done enough of the right things. And I want to say to that person, arise, get up. God is calling you to himself. Don't worry about what you've, got, what you've done wrong. Don't worry about your past. God is asking you to move forward. God is, has some other purposes for you, better purposes for you, a better life for you. And that's what he says next. The next thing he tells them is to shine. Um, I, looked at, I looked at these, um, as I'm prone to do, I, I, I'm, I like to get all nerdy and look at what these words were in the original language and, and stuff like that. And, and I noticed that, <clears throat> that the word that we have as shine is the same word as light, just you know, three words later. 
Arise, shine, for your light has come. And then it's repeated in the last verse, or the third verse, and nations shall come to your light. And those are all the same words. You know, two of them are in a noun form, and one of them is a verb. And, and so, in my translation, just so I could make it clear, so I could know, I could know okay, what, is, what, what words are really being used, I, I, wrote, I wrote it this, this way. I wrote it, be light. Arise, be light. God is telling His people to be light. To shine the light that they have for other people. To other people. To be light in the world. That is the purpose that God has for His people. That's the purpose that He had for the people in Isaiah's time. And that's the purpose that He has for us today as well. So in the Christmas hubbub... We're putting up the lights, we're doing the decorations, we're planning the parties, we're baking the cookies, we're going here and there, we're risking our lives on the roads to, to go visit our families, we're baking the turkeys, or don't forget the ham. Okay, I like, I like the ham. The ham is good. I like the turkey, it's okay. But I have, a, I have a taste for ham during the holidays. I don't know what it is. Okay, anyway... This is not about food. But when you're doing all those things, see how easy it is to be distracted? We start talking about food and we forget the light. And we forget that our purpose is to shine. Our purpose is to be light. And that was what he was encouraging them to do. He's telling them, the Messiah is coming. Are you ready for His coming? Are you prepared for Him to come into your life, into your presence, for His glory to be revealed to you, for His glory to rise upon you or over you. Are you prepared for that? Are you prepared for... Are you prepared to shine? Are you prepared to be light? And notice what he says next. For your light has come. It's an, an, an interesting... Um, Another interesting word, whenever, it, whenever we see this word, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, they're different words, but in English we don't have this problem. Because in English we have, a, we have this word called, that we use that's come. And then we have another word that is go. Come and go. And they mean t- totally different things, right? One is somebody's coming to us or something is coming to us. The other one is it's going out from us or, or going away from us or we're going to it. But in the original languages, um, there was the same word that was used for both. Coming and going. And, and I wrestled with that too because I'm like, look at, for your light has come or for your light has, or has gone. Or for your light comes, or for your light goes out. What is it? The next verse helps, or next phrase helps us. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. And we, if we take those two together, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. I think we can take that to mean that it's God Himself. It's 
We're, we're preparing for the Messiah. It's the Messiah who has come to His people. It's the Messiah and His glory that has risen. The same word used for the rising of the sun. The Lord has risen. The sun, like the sun, it's risen and it's shining on His people. It's over His people even. And, and the glory of the Lord is shining like the light that is on His people. So whose light is it? For your light has come. Does it belong to the people? Is it the light of God's people themselves? Or is it a light that they have from somewhere else? I was thinking about this. Whenever I think about light shining in dark places, I think of the story of Frodo, Frodo Baggins, in The Lord of the Rings. And you remember on his journey, he was with, this, he was with the fellowship, with his company together, and they're on this great journey, and they, they end up, um, uh, along, this, along their story, they end up in a, in a beautiful place called Lothlorien, and they meet the, the, the elves there, and they live in the trees, and and it's all wonderful, and they meet Galadriel, and she's like this amazing, beautiful elf, and, and it's, it's all wonderful, and it's magical, and it's, it's just a wonderful respite. And, and they all receive gifts as they go from that place, and they go back on their journey, and they go back into dark places, and they go into difficult times. And, and they all receive a particular gift, and, and Galadriel gives Frodo a little phial, a little flask, a, 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 a glass a bottle, if you will, that contains light. And she tells him it's, it's a light of our, of our star, Eärendil. And, and it will be a light for you in dark places. And I think about that because he had that with him. He had this, this light, this, maybe, this magical light. And he had it with him during his entire journey. And he goes through... Um, through fighting with uh, orcs and, he, and hiding from goblins and, and getting, getting uh, uh, kidnapped by, by some, some of the men and meeting, meeting Gollum and, and having that interaction and, and going to the Black Gates, but then going around and all of these things. He, and, and he finally gets into a place where he's in total darkness. And he and Sam are wondering, what are we going to do? And they realize there's something that's after them, something that's, that's coming for them, something dark, something evil. And he pulls, he, he remembers the light. He remembers what Galadriel said. And he pulls this light out, right? And it starts to glow. And suddenly he can see. And suddenly they can see the enemy. And suddenly they can see where they are. And they have a way to get out of it. And it's, it's this, it's this light that becomes for him salvation, a way out of the darkness. And I think about that, and I, and I think about when God tells us to shine, when, when he tells his people to shine, to be light, I think sometimes we think, there's not much light in me. It's, if, we, if we parallel light in the first line with glory in the second line, we think, what glory is there in us? I got, I'll break it to you. Because of the fall, there is very little in us that is good and glorious. In fact, 
Paul himself said in Romans chapter 7, I know that there's nothing good in me. There's no light inherent in me. I am a reflector, but I am a dim, poor, distorted, um, uh, rusted, if you will, dirty, caked on mirror that doesn't reflect properly. Somewhere inside of us is the image of God waiting to be revived and restored through the gospel of Jesus. But by ourselves, there's no light in us. And I think it, it's like Frodo, we're, we're running around in the darkness of this world going, can we find some light here? Can we find some light there? Where, how are we going to get through this? And all the while, we, 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 we forget that there is a light from outside of us, a greater power that has been given to us. When, when I think when Isaiah says, your light has come, He's talking about the Lord Himself. The Lord is His light. The Messiah is His light. Or Her light. Or it's actually the people are being, are being personified here. The light of God's people is the glory of the Lord Himself that has come to them. And that is in them. And that's how they can shine. And that's how we can shine as well. But the problem is, the problem is, is that we live in a dark place. <laughs> Look what he said in verse 2. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. Now, one other way of translating this is, darkness has covered or is covering the earth. Um, and thick darkness is covering the peoples. The people of the, of the world are in darkness. The earth is covered with darkness. And that's what Isaiah points out. He says, but look, look, listen, behold, pay attention to this. There's darkness all around us. You live in a dark place. You live in a world <clears throat> of darkness. But... The next two lines. But the Lord will arise upon you. And His glory will be seen upon you. Once again, He uses the same words. The glory or the Lord will arise like a sun that rises in the east. And His glory will be seen upon you or over you. So this is something really a, a unique message there's darkness all around us, but the Lord Himself will arise on His people. The Lord Himself will shine on His people. His glory will be seen on His people. And right away, one can draw some conclusions, some implications uh, on, from this. The light of God, the glory of God, is seen in His people, but is not seen in not His people. <laughs> Does that make sense? in what we would call the world. And that can be very unsettling. It can be an unsettling for us when we think about, well, what about, the, what about those people? Or what about those others over there or over there? Or uh, what a, 
how are they going to see God's glory? How is God's glory going to be seen on them? Or how is the Lord going to arise and shine on them? And Jesus himself addressed this in Roman or in, excuse me in John chapter 15 as he's teaching his disciples the night before he was betrayed and he told them look the world is going to hate you because it hates me the world is is the world of darkness and and I have called you out of that world I have called you out of that darkness so that you'll be my people and guess what? They're not going to be happy about that. Because when you start talking about those things, it starts talking about the exclusivity of Jesus and the exclusivity of salvation. And it seems, uh, in, to our 21st century sensibilities, like it's somehow not fair. Like, maybe people aren't getting what they ought to get. But, what Jesus made clear throughout His Gospel, uh, the Gospel of John, over and over again, is that God, or Jesus, is rescuing people out of the darkness. He says, I took you out of the world. I, I made you my people. I rescued you. And that's why you are who you are. And that's why you have my glory being, being seen on you. That's why I have arisen upon you. <coughs> but the, the fact remains that it is still a dark place that we live in. Um, there's, an, there's a story in, uh, in Exodus. You know, when, when the people were being brought out and God was doing all of these amazing and mighty things in the land. He sent plagues. You remember the plagues? He, he, the water turned into blood and then there were frogs and then there were gnats and flies and boils and, you know, things, just all kinds of nasty things. And then it got near the end and, and he sent the plague of darkness. And there's a really interesting there's an, a really interesting part of that story is that there was darkness everywhere in the land of Egypt. They couldn't see their face, or, or their hands, excuse me, in front of their face. But in the land of Goshen, where the Israelites lived, where the Hebrews lived, it was light. So God had separated the light from the darkness. <laughs> he did this creation work in Egypt at that time. And the people had light. They received the light, whereas the Egyptians were still left in darkness. Why do you think that was? And, and wh why would that be significant to us? So that we can gather in our places of worship and go, well, we have the light. Praise the Lord. We've got the light. We've got God. His glory is on us. Amen. Right? No? Can we, can we gather together and say, I thank you, God, that I'm not like those other people who are still in darkness, who are still in their sins. What did he say? Here. 
Arise, be light. Be light. Why? For the world is in darkness. The world is covered in darkness. And, and the Lord is arisen upon you. And His glory is seen in you. That's a reason for being light in a dark place. We have not been given light in order to keep it to ourselves, but to let it shine. Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, verse 14 to 16. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all, all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. What does it mean then for us? Because you should be asking this question, okay, we're supposed to be light. What does it mean to be light? What does it mean to shine? You should be asking that question. <laughs> well, Jesus helps us out. He says, therefore, let your light shine before men so that they can see what? Your good works. So they can see that your life is consistent with what you believe about Jesus. So that they will see that the light of the gospel, the light of Jesus, is at work in your life and is motivating you and causing you to live a way that's different than the rest of the world. Because people desperately need to see the gospel shining in other people, in Christians, in the church. So the message of Christmas is not just, hey, amen, let's sing some great songs, let's celebrate the holidays, let's put the lights up on our houses. But the message of Christmas should be a reminder to us as believers that we have the light of the world in us. That we have something to share with people in need, people in darkness. And look what verse 3 says. And this is really, I think, um, pretty amazing and pretty beautiful. In, in that he says, And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. So he repeats those, those words again. We see those words again. We see light coming again. And that's the light, the brightness, like the sun. And we see the word rising coming again. And that's not just getting up and arising out of your di discouragement or depression or the bed that you're lying in. But that's actually the rising of the sun. And we've seen, in, we saw in verse 1, the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. And in verse 2, but the Lord will arise upon you. And kings to the brightness of your rising. So to make it clear for me when I was looking at these, that I, I translated as dawning. I, the glory of the Lord is dawning over you. Is the, glory, the Lord will dawn upon you. And the kings have, are coming to the brightness of your dawning. There, it's like, a new day. Suddenly the light is shining. The light of the gospel, the light of the Messiah, the light of God in His glory is shining. Where is it shining? It is shining in His people. And the nations are all of the people group. These are the Gentiles and the kings. So it's not just, um, it's not just the common people. It's, in, it's, it's people of all 
uh, of all backgrounds. We even have kings and princes, and we, we have these important people. They are attracted to the light that they see shining in God's people. They're coming to that light. They're seeing it dawning in them, and they're attracted to it. What attracts a dark world to the light? What attracts them to Jesus? And I, we, don't, we cannot discount um, the, the power of God's Word just when it's spoken or sung. We cannot discount the work of the Holy Spirit, which we pray is, is active in the hearts and lives of the people that we love. Whether they're our family, or whether they're neighbors or co-workers, whether the family near or family far, we know the Spirit has to work and has to move in them to give them, give them or show them the light. But what Isaiah says to us right here, what the Holy Spirit is saying to us right here, and what Jesus says to us in Matthew chapter 5, and what Peter said to us in 1 Peter chapter 2, is that we have the light. And God has challenged us and commissioned us as His believers, as His church, to be the light in a world. So what would that look like for us during this holiday? Maybe you need to slow down enough so that you're actually spending quality time with people around you. Um, don't let the holidays go by and let relationships with people who you're praying for, people who are... Who are who you know are need need they, you know they need the light. Maybe they maybe they're the ones that you you're talking to that are having the questions and and you're having these conversations with them, or or maybe they're people that you haven't thought of all year long, but you ought to. Maybe this is the time to do it. Don't let this season go by. Don't let the season of light go by and and not. Uh, reflect on those relationships and how you can possibly shine a little light of the gospel, a little bit of light of the truth, a little bit of light of hope and joy uh, or comfort as we talked last week in their lives. And more than that, don't give in to the false lights that are all around us. Don't give in to the, to the rat race. Don't give in to all of the other um, beautiful things that distract us from what is true and lasting about Christmas. The message of Jesus Himself. The message of God becoming a man, living a perfect life in our world, dying in our place and rising again. Don't let all of the other lights keep you from that. Maybe we need, most of all, because I believe we know um, inherently as believers, we know what we ought to do. We know we ought to share. Maybe we don't have the courage. Maybe we don't have, maybe we don't have the resources or the, or the knowledge to do what we think we ought to do. Maybe we're afraid. But I think we need to go back to that initial message. That initial word of this passage, arise. 
I was thinking about another story, a story that um, I, I love, <clears throat> a story from a, a book called The Silver Chair. The Silver Chair is a book about two, two young people, a boy and a girl, who are swept out of their country, England, into a land called Narnia, and they have adventures there, and they meet interesting people. And one of the people that they meet is uh, a in- really interesting character. Um, he's a marsh wiggle, and his name is Puddleglum. <laughs> if you've read the story, you'll know about Puddleglum, and you'll know what kind of person he is. And I encourage you to read that. But they go on adventures with him, and, and, and their, their mission is to go find a lost prince, uh, uh, the, the rightful heir of the throne of Narnia, and their job is to go find the prince and to bring him back if possible. And along the way, they are given signs, and they're, to, or, and they're told to remember the signs, remember the things that are going to guide them on their path, and, and they go along, and they, they don't do perfectly well at this uh, uh, the, the girl is, who's, who's tasked with remembering the signs, she forgets the signs, and, and then they get into trouble, and, and they get here and they get there, and, and, and they're still trying to fulfill this mission, but it's getting more and more difficult, and eventually they find themselves in a place called Underworld. A place where, where cr- creatures live without the sun without the true light. And in Underworld, it's all darkness. And it's only lighted by artificial illumination. And, and the light is pale, and the light is otherworldly. It, it doesn't resemble the true light. It doesn't re- resemble the sun. It doesn't resemble the moon and the, and the stars. But it's, it's a dim, artificial uh, reflection, not even a reflection, but a stand-in, a, a false light, if you will, of the real light. Well, they find this, this young man who they, they believe may be the prince. Um, but he's protected by, he's, he is in, under the control of a woman who calls herself the Queen of Underworld. And sh- sure enough, like another Narnia story, this is not just a queen, she's actually a witch. She's actually controlling and manipulating and she has evil, dark magic working to control the prince. And, and at one point she begins to have this conversation with the, the, the children and with Puddleglum. And, and they begin to talk about overworld and they begin talking about the sun and they begin to talk about life up above and they begin to think about even England and, and the land that they came from and, and the queen who's, who's beautiful and, and she talks um, soothing and she plays beautiful music and she says, oh, don't you see all of those things uh, all that you're, you're talking about are just, just imaginations. Uh, you're just taking what is in the real world and making it bigger and better and, and making up stories about what's real and true. Because what's real and true is underworld. Everything that you see here. And you see a lamp 
And you imagine it could be larger and brighter. And so you think that there's a sun. But there's really no sun. You, you imagine, or you see a, a tiny cat. And you imagine that it's larger and bigger and more majestic. And you think of it as a lion. And you give it a name like Aslan. But don't you see that none of that, none of that really exists? It's Puddleglum who awakens, arises out of that dream and says, no, it can't be like that because I've seen Aslan. I've seen the sun. I know these things are real. And, maybe, and, and what I really need to do is stop this enchantment. So he does a heroic thing. He stomps on a fire that has been burning incense and, and has been causing them to be under, his, under her control. And, and the rest of it spins out into the point where they defeat the evil queen and the enchantment is broken. And sure enough, they realize who they are. They realize what they have. They realize that there is a real light beyond beyond underworld. And eventually they make it back with the prince. And, and things go on as they should, right? Because that's how good stories are. And that's how true stories are. Maybe we need to take a, 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 a cue from these children and this marsh wiggle <laughs> who experienced an awakening they, they, uh, they arose out of their enchantment and to realize that there are truer things than what we have. So when you see the lamps, when you see the lights on your trees or on your house or in your decorations, don't settle for that light. Don't settle for the joy that you get in the songs. Don't settle for the nostalgia that you feel in the lights and the presence and the treats and the food. Don't settle for anything less than God himself, the Messiah who came into the world. As Jesus said, I am the light of the world in John 8. We have a true light. We follow a, a, a true light. We have been risen out of our darkened state by the gospel. And we have come to one who has truly lived, has truly died, has truly rose from the dead. The message of Christmas is the message of the gospel, that God became a man, that his glory shone in the person of Jesus, and that his glory, or so that his glory would shine in us to a world that, needs to see. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for, for, for this word, this message that you've given us in the Gospels, the Gospel according to Isaiah. And um, Father, I thank you for the light that you have shown in our hearts, uh, the light that you are shining in dark places. Help us remember that it is all from you. And let us, God, um, abandon the, substitu the false substitutes in, in whatever 
way we must to at least keep them in their proper place. As we celebrate Christmas, God, may we be reminded that it is about the Messiah that came to be the light of the world. And Lord, I pray then that our, our, our lives, our, our works will be in keeping with the light that is in us. That others will see that we love well, that we live holy lives, that we prioritize our lives and our families according to what you have called us to be as a people. Lord, I pray that the world will see that and rejoice and and be drawn to the light that is in us. The light of Jesus, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.